Good morning, Midland Free. Hey, my name is Pastor Jeremy. That is good stuff, huh? Boy, I needed that. Uh, I think my chair is coming. Yes, it is. Awesome. Uh, welcome here. If you uh, have missed me for the last couple of weeks, I've been away. I wanted to uh, start by saying a big thank you uh, to all of you all. Um, I went, as you can tell from the you all, I went to Missouri. Uh, which is where my parents are from, and as many of you know, my dad has been struggling with Alzheimer's for the last six years, and uh, last Wednesday, November 8th, he uh, went home to glory, so uh, I want to say thanks for making it possible for me to be there in time for his passing. It was uh, very appropriate and meaningful, and everyone was there, and super special, so thank you for your cards and condolences. Thank you for your support. Thank you for Pastor David for preaching, and thank you, uh, staff, for your kind gift of the canvas print, and thank you, everyone who took care of our kids while we were away. That was huge. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, today, this week, we continue our stewardship series, and so that uh, finds us in the last of four sermons on stewardship, and it's kind of an interesting day to do that, uh, being Thanksgiving weekend and stuff like that, but What's interesting about that is that I think these two things, both stewardship and thanksgiving, go together very, very well. Particularly in this passage, 1 Chronicles chapter 29, uh, that really starts off with this title, Blessed are you, O Lord, or if you want to be liturgical and old school about it, like you see the title in your bulletin, it's Blessed art thou, O Lord. You know, this is the great call to bless God, and it's one of David's last acts as his uh, king, as his um, reign is coming to an end, and his son Solomon is going to take over. One of the very last things he does is call all the people together, and he's going to pray over them, and then he's going to invite them to bless God and uh, give a free will offering in response to God's great blessing upon them. Now we've talked about offerings, and we talked about tithes, and some of the differences uh, therein, and today's text is just a free will offering. It's not part of the Levitical system in the sense that it's not an obligation, it's just something they did out of a joyous celebration to the Lord. So we're going to go ahead and read that, and I think uh, the theme that you'll see, hopefully throughout this whole text, and not even throughout the text, but even better throughout your life, is this. That God's sovereignty ensures or secures our success. God's sovereignty secures our success. There's a lot of S's there. You can use whatever words you want. But at the end of the day, uh, rise or fall, it all depends on God. God's sovereignty secures our success. So let's read 1 Chronicles chapter 29. This is David blessing the Lord and blessing the people. And uh, see how this applies to faith, life, stewardship, and even thanksgiving. First Chronicles chapter 29. Therefore, David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly, and David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. For yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. 
Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and into your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, O Lord our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I, and what is my people, that we should be able to thus offer you willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own we have given you. For we are strangers before you, and sojourners as all our fathers were. Our days on earth are like a shadow, and there is no abiding. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things, and now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts towards you. Grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart that he may keep your commandments, your testimonies, and your statutes, performing all that he may build the palace for which I have made provision. Then David said to all the assembly, Bless the Lord your God. And all the assembly blessed the Lord, the God of their fathers, and bowed their heads and paid homage to the Lord and King. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm using a term here that I think you've probably heard thrown around a bit at Thanksgiving. And I want to be clear about what it is before I even begin. And that is the word blessing. It's something perhaps we say when people sneeze, God bless you, or otherwise, kazuntite. And it's also something that we desire for ourselves. We desire blessing, and we also perhaps even desire to be blessed. And I think when we say that word, generally what we mean is in some way we are benefited. I am blessed. So, for example, you could say, that person is blessed in the sense that they were born with a certain inherent or natural ability that other people don't have. They're blessed. They're faster, they're taller, they're smarter, they're quicker, they're better. In some way, whatever, they're blessed. Another way you could say it is that I have been blessed. I have received something. I have in some way been given something that is outside of myself that benefits me. What then is it for the people who are created for the finite to bless the infinite? How is it that we bless God who already has all things? Can we give him anything? Can he benefit from us? Real theology would say no. In no way whatsoever is God lacking anything, so there is no benefit for him to derive. What then for us to bless is, is it is for us to say to God, we are saying that you are blessed, that you of all people, of all things, if you will, are truly blessed. We are affirming what it is we see and know is true, that you, O oh Lord, are blessed above everything else. We are responding to his blessedness. So today we begin to bless God and we start with a theme that God's sovereignty ensures our success. And that sounds a little bit, I think, sort of out there. Okay, 
God is perfect, God is infinite, God is blessed above all. So where in the world do we fit in all of that? That makes God just sound way above and beyond us. But C.S. Lewis had said this, and I think it's said rightly, that God is both further from us and nearer to us than any other thing. Yes, he is infinite. Yes, he is beyond us. Yes, he does not compare. But at the same time, because he is intimately involved with his creation, he loves us and is with us more closely than anything else. And so in some strange way, even though God is sovereign and rules over all things, we are involved in his infinite wisdom in this process that he has put in front of us. So where do we fit in his sovereignty? Well, I would say three things that he has called us to do throughout our lifetime process that play into his sovereignty. Yes, his sovereignty drives all things and controls all things, but here's where we fit. The first is this, to hold to the paradox of the faith. In other words, I'll, I'll explain that here a little bit more, but let me give you all three. Humbly depend on God. So hold to the paradox, humbly depend, and confidently hope. So the paradox or the faith is that overarching umbrella that extends above and beyond everything else. We have to believe this thing. And then after we believe it, there's the daily walk in which we humbly submit ourselves to it. But it doesn't end there. Instead, we are not only walking day by day, but we're also confidently looking forward to the future. So there's this overarching theme, and then there's the daily, and then there's the future as well. So said more simply, hold to the faith, humbly depend, and confidently hope. Hold to the faith, humbly depend, and confidently hope. Now what do I mean when I say hold to the paradox of faith? I have in parenthesis there the two words um, sovereign and good. I do that on purpose because I think when you hear the word faith and you associate that with Christianity, most of the time you're thinking, okay, faith, that means believe in Jesus, right? You know, savior figure died and rose again, Easter, Christmas, holidays, etc. Jesus, right? That's the faith. In a sense, yes, but in a sense, no. What I'm actually speaking of here is not particularly or necessarily faith in Jesus, but more of faith in general, faith in the sense of this specific thing, that God is both all-powerful and all-good, all at the same time. This, I think, is actually where we struggle with our faith more than any other. It's one thing to believe that Jesus rose from the grave. It's another thing to say that God is good and bad things happen. That God could have prevented it, but a good God chose not to. How does that work? That seems like a paradox. If he was good and something bad happened, then either he chose not to prevent it, which would make him not good, or he couldn't prevent it, which would make him not powerful. So what then is it? This is the thing we wrestle with that theologians call theodicy or the problem of evil. And this struggle is to hold in both hands at the same time, affirming 100% of both, that God is completely all-powerful with 
all power there is that nothing can stop him. And at the same time, he is completely all good. All good, all powerful, all the time. Amen? Okay, let me, let me work that through a little bit. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says this. Faith, that is, I would say the paradox of faith is this. The assurance of things that are hoped for. That's number three. The, the future stuff, but it's an assurance. It's a hope, not like I hope it doesn't rain today, but a guarantee like this is an assurance of stuff that's coming that you don't have now. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, and it's the conviction of not, things not seen. I don't see this, and yet I firmly, 100% believe it. That's where the paradox comes in. You see, when we struggle with evil, what happens is, if you think of it like a, a pair of scales, you have God's goodness on one hand and God's power on the other hand. And when you start to struggle with it, what you don't see where you need the faith is how these two can go together. For example, something bad happens and God could have prevented it. I don't get it. Let me give you an example. The night of January 22nd, 1999, Australian Christian missionary Graham Stewart Staines, who had been working in the Odisha district among the tribal poor and lepers of India, attended an annual gathering of Christians of the area for religious and social discourse in the Junko camp in Manohapur. He was on his way to Kenjahar with his sons Philip, age 10, and Timothy, age 6. They had just come back from their holiday at Uti. His wife and daughter had uh, chosen to remain behind in Baripada. They decided to spend the night in Manohapur and slept in their vehicle because of the severe cold, at which time a mob of about 50 people armed with axes and other implements, attacked their vehicle while Staines and the children were fast asleep in the car. They tried to escape, but the Hindu radicalists were preventing him from doing so and set the station wagon ablaze. Graham, Philip, and Timothy were all burned alive while singing, Jesus Loves Me. Is God good? Is God powerful? Could he have prevented that? These are his servants. These are children. These are serving the tribal leopards and poor. If God is only good but not all-powerful. It makes him nothing more than a benevolent Santa Claus in the sky who really intends good things but just can't quite pull it off. If God is all-powerful but not good, it makes him a distant tyrant who has no affection or care for his people. How then do we hold these two together? That God is both sovereign and good. This is the paradox of faith. We believe it just like Graham's widow who continued to live in India caring for leprosy patients until she returned to Australia in 2004. She was awarded the fourth highest civilian honor in India 
along with the Mother Teresa Memorial International Award for Social Justice. Corey Ten Boone, Nate Sate, Jim Elliott, Peter Fleming, all of these had the faith to affirm the paradox. That God is both sovereign and good, even in the most extreme situations. I think, personally, that if it's enough for the great martyrs of the faith, then it is enough for you and me in the miseries of everyday life. I'll give you a couple examples of my own. These are very small. I'm sure there are much greater things. But as I was home uh, visiting with my family during the time of my father's passing, I went for a run one morning just to get out in the fresh air and experience a little bit of life and breathe. And along the path, I turned a corner and my ankle went in a ditch and boom, rolled my ankle, right? Like, man, whoa. <laughs> now I've graduated from cussing to complaining. <laughs> so that's a step, right? So I'm thankful for that. There were no cuss words that came out, but I was at the point where I was like, God, what are you doing? Lord, I do not need this right now. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, that was really not fun. And then I began to think to myself, and I realized, you know, essentially what I just said was, God, you're not very nice. What I did was I just told God that he was not nice. Either that or I'm saying his timing is a little off. You know, if he was more powerful, he would have thought things through and done it better and picked a better day for me to turn my ankle. It's wrong for me to blame God for my misstep. He is sovereign and he is good and the fault lies not in him but in me. Yeah, but we prayed and God didn't answer. So did Elizabeth Elliot and Corey Ten Boone and Gladys Staines. Yet, they were able to maintain the paradox of faith. How do I do that, Pastor Jeremy? Well, it's hard. And I don't have a formula to give you that will say, okay, if you do this, then this. What instead I will say is this. Watch your mental processes and notice that any time you struggle, often the first lie or attack that the devil will bring your way is towards one of those two things. He will either try to convince you that God is not good or that God is not powerful. And as soon as you feel yourself slipping on one side or the other, then you need to dial it back or reel it back in or whatever analogy you want to use and realize, whoa, if I go there, what that means is my faith will falter. If I go to the point of saying God is no good, that's not a God worth serving. If I go to the point of saying God is not powerful, that's also not a God worth serving. I have to maintain both even when I have no idea how that works. Given the crucible of his own experience as a shepherd, a poet, a singer, a loyal friend, a warrior, a king, a repentant adulterer, a murderer, and a broken-hearted parent, we see these following statements from David then as much more than mere words. 
These are not pie-in-the-sky, wishy-washy theological affirmations, but this is real-world, down-in-the-trenches, genuine difficulties that this guy lived out. And even in despite all of that, throughout his whole life, he can look back on the process, seeing now his time on earth coming to a close and his son moving forward. And David prays like this. He says, Blessed, blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. For yours is the, listen to these words, the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted above all. I see David here basically ransacking the theological dictionary, looking for every term he can and just pulling it out to somehow try to describe God's boundless power and goodness. He is affirming the paradox of faith, that despite everything negative and evil I have experienced, that despite everything negative and evil that I see, despite the reality of the human condition and the current world circumstances, God, you're good. And you are in control. And that takes faith. But that's what this thing is all about. To say with David that God is both sovereign and good. All. Both. All the time. God is sovereign. God is good. Then you pull out those little verses that we read at Thanksgiving and you hear words like this. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he's good. For a steadfast love endures forever. For the Lord is good and his steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. God is all powerful and God is all good. So what then is it to say that which God says is good is no longer good. In other words, are we anthrocentric or theocentric? Am I the judge of what is good or is God the judge of what is good? It is not that I judge him by my character, but he judges me by his. Wayne Grudem says it like this, there is no standard of goodness other than God's own character and his approval of whatever is consistent with that character. If it agrees with God and who he is and what he does, then it's good. If it doesn't, it's not. It's not if it agrees with me. <laughs> I wish it were, but it's not. Does it agree with God? If so, it is good. Why? Because fundamentally and inherently, here's the key, Psalm 119, verse 68. Lord God, you are good and you do good. Everything about you is, and every action that comes forth does good. Lord, you are good. Everything, everything about you and everything that you do is good. That is why James says that every good and perfect gift is from above. And that is why David, in this same passage, says, look, both riches and honor come from you. You rule over all. There is the source of goodness and there is the power. 1 Chronicles 29, 12. In your hand are power and might and in your hand 
It is to make great and to give strength to all. God, you are good. Not only is everything you do good, but you are the source of all goodness. Listen again to the way C.S. Lewis says it. I love this statement. He says it so beautifully. He says, he makes, that is God makes, we are made. He is original. We are derivative. Our life is at every moment supplied by him. Our tiny, miraculous power of free will only operates on bodies which his continual energy keeps in existence. Our very power to think is his power communicated to us. Everything comes from him. God is the source of all goodness. God is the source of all power. Therefore, we are completely all dependent for everything that is good and for our very ability to breathe and get out of bed in the morning on him. It's all from God. God's sovereignty ensures our success. So hold to the paradox of faith. So number one, hold to the paradox of faith. Number two, humbly depend. I think when you think of those things, if you actualize them in your heart or in your mind, when you come to the point of really believing that God is all-powerful and all-good and everything comes from Him, what does that leave for us? Not a whole lot, really. That is why David says in 1 Chronicles twenty nine fourteen, Hey, who am I? And what is my people that we should be able to offer you anything? How, am, how is it that I can offer you something? How is it that I put a dime in the plate? You gave it to me. I'm just giving back to you what you already gave. How is that giving? It's like if I give my daughter a cookie and she gives me the same cookie and says, here's a cookie. And I say, oh, thanks. <laughs> is that a gift? But that's what we do for God. David fully realizes it, and so he is ready to humbly depend on God for everything. This is an unqualified disclaimer of all merit. David's response is one of complete awe and humility. Thus he writes psalms like this that say, Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our God, our Maker. When we fully understand that God has all goodness and all power, and we affirm that paradox of faith, there's nothing left for us to do but completely and humbly depend on Him. It's not my ability. It's not my anything. It's God. I love the way Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 4-7. This is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. He says this, What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Here's an example from everyday life. Uh, let's talk about money for a second. This is a stewardship series. So there's a number of different views on money, and everybody has them one way or another. But I think a common value is often that money earned is somehow more dignified than money simply received. Like you got an inheritance, you know, you're filthy rich, therefore, you know, they're just spoiled brats. Whereas, well, I'm rich, but I pulled myself up by my bootstraps and I worked hard and did it by the sweat of my brow and the quick wit of my intellect and therefore I'm better than that inheritance, you know, person over there. 
But the reality is what Paul's saying here is, look, <laughs> you're no different than Mr. Inheritance guy. Not at all. What, you think it was your intellect? Where did you get that? From your DNA, which you inherited from somebody. You think it's your good looks? Where did you get that? <laughs> from your inherited DNA. You, th you think it was your luck? <laughs> you think you just happened to pick that at the right time? Who controls nations? Who controls economies? Who controls the market? Who controls all the fluctuations, weather patterns throughout the world? You think you were in charge of that? It's all an inheritance. Nobody has earned anything. It all comes from God. Your very ability to breathe and get up in the morning comes straight from Him. What do you have that you haven't been given? Why then do you boast as if you didn't receive it? You didn't work hard. God gave you the ability to get out of bed. God gave you the ability to breathe. God brought the sun up to shine on our earth that brought forth the fruit. Why would you boast any other way? Each and every day, everything you have, it doesn't matter. It all comes from Him. Whether you earned it or whether you inherited it. Every day, every moment, our very life is supplied by Him. Humbly depend on Him. So hold to the paradox of faith and humbly depend on Him for the present. But don't stop there. If that's where it ends, we're probably just walking around holding our heads low to the ground. But the reality is, because God's sovereignty assures or secures our success, then we can confidently hope in the future. Because it doesn't depend on us, it depends on Him. And David recognizes this too. David's a wealthy, successful, powerful, popular king. And yet, he knows that at the end of the day, it's all about God and his choices and his decisions. So when he's stepping back from the throne and he's moving his son forward, he's going to ask God for God's sovereignty to ensure Solomon's success. Look at verse 29, or chapter 29, verse 19. David prays, God, grant to my son Solomon the most important thing you could possibly give him, a whole heart that he may keep your commandments your testimonies, your statutes, performing all that he may build the palace for which I have made provision. Here's the beautiful truth contained within this passage. That, and it is this, that the reality of God's kingdom, God's future kingdom, not David's current kingdom now, but God's future kingdom, not my current situation now, but God's future that future kingdom provides a secure framework for the whole of our life. We can detach from everything in this world and not let it hit us or take effect because we are looking forward to the next. This is what the people of Hebrews 11 did when they are able to be sawn asunder and all those other horrible things. It says this in verse 14, for People who speak this way, looking forward to the future, make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they've been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, not the United States of America. A better country, one that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them 
the city. This is not mere religious escapism accomplished through a fixation on certain theological abstractions. This is real life stewardship. This is believing that God owns all things, that God controls all things, that God determines all things, and his sovereignty therefore ensures our success. But with his sovereignty then comes a huge dose of humility, because <laughs> we know it's not from us. But because of his sovereignty, in equal measure, there is also a huge dose of hope. Therefore, we hold to the faith, we humbly depend, and we confidently hope in God for the future. Then we can cry out with David in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 18. Blessed art thou, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and our fathers. Keep forever such purposes in the hearts of your people. And these people here change our hearts. For only by changing our hearts will the paradox of faith take root and shoot forth and bear fruit. God, secure our hearts. Help us to hold to the faith so that we can humbly depend and confidently hope in you. Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of our Father forever and ever. Yours is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in heaven on earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom and the power, and you are exalted as head above all forever and ever. Amen. Father, we thank you and give you thanks. We praise you for who you are. Lord, you are good. Lord, we humbly admit there are a lot of bad things that happen, and I don't understand any of them. But I don't blame you for it. Lord, when I misstep, it's my fault. When others do, it's their own. It's never yours. We just pray, God, that you would help us to maintain that attitude, to give us victory in life, hope for the future, even in death. Lord, thank you for the many wonderful things you've given us. We bless you and praise you, acknowledging all that we have comes from your hand. And now we gratefully offer back this sacrifice of praise. In Jesus' name. Amen.